I have a question for you. <clears throat> What's the difference between committing a sinful act of adultery or committing a sinful act of unbelief? Is there any degree of difference between those two acts of sin? Not according to Scripture. According to the Word of God, sin must be dealt with, and it must be dealt with by the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin, any kind of sin, without the shedding of blood. So if you take that into thought, into matter then, those who don't believe God are as much a sinner as somebody who commits adultery. Or a sinner who commits anything else for that matter. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 9. I recently made this statement. You'll forgive me if it if it's a disturbance that I make it again. But the world of religion loves to declare this. God loves you. I've had men stop me on the street corner. Kathy and I went to Sturgis one time and there was a bunch of so-called Christians standing on one of the street corners. They gather at those big meetings like that because they think they're going to be able to convert some souls. And they'll stand there and they'll hand out whatever tracts they're handing out that day. And Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And I've stopped a couple times and asked them, how do you know? How do you know Jesus loves me? Ooh, well, it's because we read in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They take their stand on the words, for God so loved the world. And they make the verse sound as an offer. An offer to you to make a choice. In other words, basically what they're saying is this, that God has done a work but now you must choose whether to accept it or not. Now they completely reject these words that we find in Romans chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. You don't need to turn that, I'll read them for you. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Now I used to say the key to that phrase of John 3.16 was the whosoever. Folks, I am just a man. I am a sinful is any man who has ever walked this earth other than Christ Jesus. I am as probably the least that you have ever met 
in the knowledge of our Lord's Word. I can't believe God even has me standing here before you preaching. To me, it's I, I, I just I don't. It's just the way pastors are. You ask any of them. Pastor Gene used to say the same thing about himself. So I make mistakes. And saying that the key to that phrase is the whosoever is wrong. It just came to me as I was studying for this thing. Brother, I'm telling you, if the folks had noticed that it was wrong before, I wish you'd have come up and told me sometime sooner. But you didn't, and that's God's will. So, But I, the Lord showed me that it was wrong. It was wrong. That's not the key to that phrase. The key to that phrase is the same key that we will see in God's Word all the way from the first page of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key. When you get in a discussion with somebody over religion, remember that. They want to argue with you about what does it mean that God was made sin. If they want to argue with you about when the end of the world is coming and what's going to happen worth afterwards, you know they're missing the whole point. The point of God's Word is this, to raise His Son up and give Him all the glory. So, you know what, I'm going to... I know, instead of just quoting it for you, turn over there if you would to the third, third uh, John three sixteen. Turn over to the third chapter. I want you to read it with me because I want you to see the words. I want you to picture you know picture them in your mind, which you can because they're they're probably uh, uh, memorized. But I want you to read them from God's word as they are. For God so loved the world. Now here comes the true key. The very key to this phrase. He gave His only begotten Son. That's the key. The world wants to make for God to love the world. And then they go about changing Scripture to fit whatever they think there. But the key is this, that He, God the Father, gave His only begotten Son. Why is that important? Why is that so important to you and I? Well, it tells me that whatever He did, it was perfect and nothing can change it. John Reeves can't change the grace of God being for John Reeves. Nothing can separate you and I from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ His Son. Nothing. Not even me. You can't even change yourself. Oh, we may think we've made some pretty big mistakes and we've probably stepped in some pretty deep situations, gotten ourselves into some besetting sin or something. The Lord's not going to lose us. We may have to feel a little pain maybe, but when it comes right down to it, every sin that you and I have committed, every sin, I'm going to repeat that. Every sin. This is the meaning. This is the meaning of what it means that He, God the Father, gave His only begotten Son. Back to to John chapter 9, if you would, please. You see, if you take that statement to its fullest position, 
and you say that God loves everybody and some still go to hell, that's the same thing as saying that God could not save those for whom He loves. It's like saying to a child, go ahead and run out in front of that car. I can't help you. I ask you, is not saying that thing, is not saying that God can't help you, is that not contrary to this Word, God's Word, thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people. Is that not contrary to that? That would take that very phrase which is in Scripture and throw it completely out, wouldn't it? The question is, do you believe the record God has given of His Son? Let's look a moment at this record God has given us of His only begotten Son. Are you with me? In John chapter 9, I want to read the first four verses. And Jesus passed by, as Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind from his birth. That, folks, is a picture of you and I. There was a time when we came from our mother's womb speaking lies. There was a time when we had nothing to do with the God of all glory. We were blind to the truth of His light, the truth of who the Son of God is. Verse 2, And His disciples asked Him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, And then he says this, I must, verse 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Our Savior declares that He must work the works He was sent to do. This is the very thing that He was talking about to those unbelieving Jews who came to the Lord at Solomon's porch and said, how long do you make us to doubt? And He said, I've told you who I was. Not only did I tell you who I was, the works that I do prove that I am who I am. Prove that I am sent from God. Prove that I am of my Father. I must work the works of Him that sent me. He declares that He must work the works that we sent to do. And this man who had been blind from birth was born blind for that very purpose. Picture that in your mind for just a moment. God created that man blind in his mother's womb. That's what that's saying. So that God might show His power to those who would witness it right in front of them. I witnessed that power once. What? What do you mean, John? I saw the light of my Savior. Shine in my wife's heart. That's exactly what this that's exactly what happened here, isn't it? She who was blind from birth saw the light for the first time under the preaching of his gospel. What a miracle to witness! What a miracle to witness! I know for a fact that that man sitting right over here, Mike Lesher, watched his grandson come out of that darkness 
and start coming to the Lord saying, I don't know what may be bringing me, but I need to hear more of it. He saw it all right before Him, didn't you, Mike? What a blessing that is to our hearts, is it not? Oh, what a miracle. He's going about doing the works of God that those works might be manifest in Him. He was brought into this world for this, in this very condition, the blind man, that the day of the Lord would come and the Son of God would be manifest in His healing. Just as our Lord and Savior brought Israel and all that was theirs into the land of Egypt. Did you know that Israel came into the land of Egypt to get grain? And then they found out their brother who had been sold, had been sold as a slave, had been brought down to Egypt, and now he was the ruler of all of Egypt. Not the king, not the Pharaoh, but the Pharaoh had put him in charge of everything. So for them to come down and buy grain, they had to come before their brother who they thought they killed. You see the picture of the blind man? It doesn't just go... That's not the only one God gives us all the way back to Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers so that God might be manifest. The power of God might be manifest in the people of Israel. He could be doing that to one of us right now. You may be witnessing to one of your loved ones this afternoon and for the first time they may hear the Word of God click because the Spirit of God speaks through you or any one of you. We just never know. Lee had no idea that when he said, you know, John, I, I, I see you're disturbed. If church is ready to start right now, could you, could you come in for just a few minutes and sit if you want or just wait out here in the parking lot? Whatever you want to do. No, fine, I'll come in with you. <sighs> he had no idea. Shirley was sitting next to me and she goes, boom, hits me in the shoulder. She goes, what's wrong with you? You're sitting on the shed, on the edge of your seat. But what is, what's going on with you? <laughs> you see the miracle of God working in one of His people's hearts? Kathy had no idea that she was going to show up that day on her motorcycle because she was tired of being home alone on Sundays and the gospel was going to speak to her heart. No idea. Our Lord and Savior brought Israel and all that was theirs into the land of Egypt where they would eventually become the slaves of Egypt. A picture of you and I under the slavery that we once were in. The bondage of sin. And just as our Lord raised up Pharaoh to destroy him, that the world would know His power in delivering His chosen people from the bondage of that sin, you can read about that in Romans 9 verse 17. Our great God brought this man into the world blind, that the world would see the power of the One who gives sight. The light of the world. Christ our Lord. And once this man had been healed, once he had been given sight, the self-righteous religionists cast him out. And this is where I want to pick up this morning. Would you look over at verse 35? John chapter 9, verse 35. These religious folks, they said...
These works spake his parents because they feared. No, I'm not. That's not the right one. Sure. They came after this man and they kicked him out of the synagogue, saying, "Our, our." Uh, now I'm going to miss it again, aren't I? Let me find it here. Just a moment. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, speaking of a disciple of Christ, and we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses, and as far for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered, and he said unto them, Where why wherein is the marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, he heareth him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of the one that was born blind? If this man, speaking of Christ, were not of God, he could do nothing. Then they answered again, and they said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Now, after they had cast him out, our Lord comes to him in verse 35. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with now mark your place here in John and turn over to Isaiah chapter 9 if you would. We'll come back to John chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. There are three points that I'd like to make. Three points that one must believe about the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Lord, and as it says in John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, the first point I want to make, the first point that one must believe is who this man called Jesus is according to the Word of God. Let me read for you from John chapter 1 and a couple of other verses before we go look in Isaiah chapter 9. In John chapter 1, 1, we read this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Word of God. This is the Word that God has given us, the record of Him. This is the Word that that is speaking of. It's the very Word of God that was there before anything was ever written down. God wrote about His love for you and I before anything was ever created. And Jesus Christ is that word. Listen to verse 4. And the word was made or 14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see where the key of that phrase John 3:16 is coming? The son of the living God, the only begotten son of God. The one who has all power in heaven and earth and under the earth. In Matthew 16, 15 and 16, we read these words, And he saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now look here with me in Isaiah chapter 9 at verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a Son is given. That's the only begotten Son. This is the key to that phrase. And the government shall be upon His shoulder. That means He rules over everything. We talk about sovereign grace. That's what that word sovereign means. Everything that happens is under the complete and full control and works of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. The very One who was born in the manifest in the flesh for His people. And His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of His government and the peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal, the desire of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Can there be any Scripture more clear? Can there be any Scripture more clear about who the Lord Jesus is? He's not some wannabe. He's God with all power. And anyone who paints a picture of Jesus Christ and anything left is painting a lie. And God does not save under the paintings of lies, under the preachings of lies. He, preach, he saves under the preaching of truth. That's what we read a moment ago. In spirit and truth. I ask you, does your God have all power? Is there anything that can turn your God's hand? Listen to what God expresses in His own Son right here in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. Philippians 2, verse 10, we read it this way, that at that, at, that, at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And if that's not good enough, how about this from John chapter 10.30? I and my Father are one. <sighs> oh, oh, my Savior. I just... I just love talking about Him. Does your God have all power? Is there anything that can turn your God's hand? Turn over to Isaiah 53 for just a moment. Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? Who hath believed, Lord? Scriptures talk about treasures that pastors get. Pastors receive certain treasures that others may not. What are those treasures? I asked my pastor one time. And he said, it's not things of this world, John. It's seeing the Lord work through the preaching of His Word and saving one. The treasure of watching Kathy being brought by the Spirit of God 
unto our Lord was a blessing that I can't even... Well, I wasn't the one who was receiving that blessing at that time, but I've, I've seen other ones since. That's a blessing that only the person being blessed can explain. A treasure. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For He, He, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall grow up before Him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. Stop right there for just a moment and think about that. Look, Have you ever seen one of those long-haired pictures that the Catholics love to present as Jesus? Or you go into some religious person's house and have a picture of some long-haired hippie guy that's got a really nice, good-looking beard. That word comeliness right there means that nobody would desire to look upon him. You might as well go down here and look at a bum that's been living in a dumpster for three days and has food stuck all over his face. Continuing on. And when we, when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed. All we, like a sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, there was neither, there was, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion of the great, and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We worship one God 
in all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him bodily. He who honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father. Now the second point I want to bring is that one must believe of Christ is why He humbled Himself and left His glory and was born of a woman for. In Mark 8 verse 31 we read these words, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed after three days rise again. In John 6, verse 38 through 40, we read these words, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will, the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. What is the Father's will? That He, Christ Jesus the Lord, should lose nothing. That's what we just read in Isaiah 53. And He made His grave with the wicked and the rich in His death because He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. When He shall shall make the soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed. He shall prolong His days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. He shall see the travail of His soul, and shall be satisfied by His knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. That's why our Lord had to be born of a woman. He had to be born of a virgin because the seed of man could have nothing to do with it. Our Lord was born of the seed of the Spirit. The Spirit of God impregnated that, that virgin. Therefore, our Lord had God, our Lord Jesus Christ had absolutely no sin in him. Christ never sinned, folks. There was never a wrong thought in the Lord Jesus' mind. In fact, his thoughts were always, always to the point of what my Father has for me to do. He must go through Samaria. God the Father was sending Him there and He went willingly. He must go to Jerusalem and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. God the Father sent Him exactly to do that. And he didn't complain about it one bit. Second Corinthians 5.21 we read these words, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Folks, the Lord left His glory to be born of a woman that He would suffer many things. Suffer the spitting in the beating of the chief priests and the scribes that he would be killed but that's not where it stopped it stopped with being raised again the third day death could not hold our Lord because he's the son of God this is why that verse in John 3.16 is so important he sent his only begotten son because he's the only one who could do it he's the only one who could die and then be raised raised himself up 
No man who's ever walked this world could do it. If it was left to me to make a decision, I'd still be going my way to hell. And so would each and every one of us. But for the grace of God, there go we. Is that not true about you? That's what magnifies my Lord's grace to me. What about you folks? His name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people. Turn over to the 10th chapter of Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 10. My third point is this. One must believe of Christ. It is that He accomplished what He has set out to do. He accomplished what the Father sent Him to do and believe where He is right now. You know, there's a lot of people who talk about the Lord Jesus being crucified on a cross. Did you know that it's even spoken of in that Bible, the I think it's Corinth, the book of whatever they call Scriptures? It's spoken of in there about Jesus Christ who was crucified. Not as God Almighty, but He's there as some kind of a prophet of some kind. And I admit, I take that word from somebody who knows how to interpret those that language, so it's not something I would stand on and dogmatically. But many talk about a Jesus. Few know who the Lord Jesus that rose from the grave is. The very one who conquered death that you and I could live. The very one who shed His own blood, the blood of God. On that cross, I ask you, could anything separate God from those for whom He is loved before the world was? Absolutely not. That's why this religion of preaching about Jesus who loves everybody is a false religion and needs to be declared as such. What a weak God they think they have. If so... If God could lose one of His blood-bought children, then His blood is worthless. But thank God it is not worthless. Thank God that it was only begotten Son that shed His blood for us. Is it not a wondrous, precious thing to us? Oh, how precious the blood of God is. Paul wrote wrote it this way. He says, For whom He did foreknow, speaking of God's children, He also did predestinate for whom He did foreknow. That means He knew before the world ever began. He determined who His elect would be before the world began. Amen. He chose us Amen. in His grace. <laughs> to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, not only that, but here's some more. Whom He did predestinate, them He also called. He came to us when we were blind like that man we read about. And He says, let there be light in the heart of a dark man. (laughs) I'm getting excited. Calm down, Johnny. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. I know, folks. I know. We, We battle this flesh, but... My Lord's already won that battle for me. Amen. Oh, I, I want to 
My spirit says, John, go forth and be holy. For my Lord is holy. Not so I can be saved, not so that I can be a better person, but because my Lord is holy. And the blood of Christ, the only begotten Son of the Lord of God Almighty, is the one who justified me just as if I'd never sinned. Then it goes on and says, Them He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who laid down His life that many would live for Him cannot lose any. If He could, then He wouldn't be God. So right now, where is my Lord right now? He's interceding on my behalf. He's interceding on the behalf of all of His chosen people. This, is, this one is mine, He says. I paid the price for that sin. Folks, we are perfect. We are complete in our Lord and Savior. Are you in, verse, are you in Hebrews chapter 10? Will you join me in reading verses 12 through 14? But this man, we're talking about the third point. We've seen who Jesus is, we've seen why he became flesh, and now we're going to see him where he is this moment. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till His enemies be made His footstool for by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now if you would go back to our text in John chapter 9 and I'll bring this to a close. What peace you see, when you see the point in Scripture, and this is where I was wrong, where I had once before said the whosoever is the point of that verse, that took the glory away from my Lord and put it into the hands of a man who might believe. And I put it now in the hands of where it's supposed to be. In the power of God. Amen. In the power of who His Son is. In the power of what He's done for us. And in the power of where He is right now interceding for us. What peace we have knowing that our Lord has done it all. Amen. What peace we can have in knowing that on that cross our Savior said, It is finished. What peace we can have. The Spirit of God inspiring Paul to write these words, nothing can separate us from the love that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have this peace because Christ Himself reveals who He is, what He has done, and what He's doing right now. Look at verses 35-38 through 38 again if you would. Jesus heard that they had came out that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost 
thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Folks, here comes the gospel. This is what the Lord's talking about when he said, How are you going to know? How are you going to know who it is you believe in if you've never heard of him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. I ask you, dost thou believe? For God so loved the world that He, God, gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, my High Priest, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I ask you, dost thou believe? It is by the gift of God that you do. And it is by the gift of God that we can say there, if not for God, there would there would go I. Stand with me if you would.